Acts chapter 1. We're also going to be, if you want to mark or hold it with your finger in another place in your Bible, we're going to be in Luke chapter 1. Um, we're doing, doing two books at the same time. Lord, we come to you with open hearts to, to hear from your word. We're not coming with ideas of what we think your word ought to say or opinions that we're looking to back up with your word. We're ready to be taught and instructed by your word. And so we come humbly before you. Holy Spirit, move in this time in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, Acts chapter 1, we're going to go 1 through 5. And I'm reading out of the NASB version, but, you know, read along with, with whatever you got. So long as it's English, we should be on the same page. Here we go. The first account I composed, Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up to heaven, after he had, by the Holy Spirit, given orders to the apostles whom he had chosen. To these he also presented himself alive after his suffering, by many convincing proofs, <clears throat> appearing to them over a period of 40 days, and speaking of things concerning the kingdom of God. Gathering them together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised, which, he said, you have heard from me, or you heard of from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Now, let's go over to Luke chapter 1. We're just going to read these portions and then talk about it. Luke chapter 1, and we're going to read the first four verses. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile an account of the things accomplished among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and servants of the word, it seemed fitting for me as well, having investigated everything carefully from the beginning, to write it out for you in consecutive order, most excellent Theophilus. There's that name again. So that you may know the exact truth about the things you have been taught or you have heard. All right, so the reason we're in both Acts and Luke is because they have the same author. Not only the same author, but they're written to the same person, <clears throat> Acts is uh, a form of sequel to Luke, to the same person, continuing the storyline that, that Luke left off with. Now, Acts was written by Luke. Who was Luke? Luke was a Gentile, likely Greek, but we're not totally certain on that. He was a physician. He was a doctor. And uh, he was also a companion of Paul. He traveled with Paul on many of his journeys. In fact, halfway through Acts, the, it, the, uh, the pronouns change from they to we as he's telling the story. And he joins Paul on his journeys. This speaks of his character and his drive for the gospel and evangelism, willing to, to give it all, lay it all out there and go into the unknown with Paul, who was certifiably crazy, right? So like Luke was willing to put himself there with Paul. Maybe not certified. He was crazy. Um, and though he was a Gentile, he was very familiar with uh, the Hebrew culture, Judaism. He was familiar with the Old Testament and the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament. 
He, he knew all about that. He knew about the culture, and he references things in his books with knowledge of that. He's speaking. He's not, he's not somebody who, who doesn't know anything about Hebrew. He's not a Gentile that's coming in and saying, this is how the Hebrews ought to do it. He's familiar with their culture. He knows what's going on. The thing about Luke being a physician is he has an eye for detail. He thinks about things in a detail that, that other authors don't necessarily think about. Physical detail. Uh, the level of detail and accuracy that he has, uh, both historically and with respect to consistency with the other Gospels, it fits that style. You can see, ah, oh, yeah, this guy was definitely a doctor. This, this guy was a brainiac. He had a lot going on up top. But he noticed the details, and he's the guy who talks about the, the condition of the issue of blood, the, the woman who touched the hem of Jesus' garment, right? He, he says that in a way that says he understood what was going on. It wasn't a, just a random sickness. Like, he knew what was going on. He understood the details of around that. And he did, he understood those. those he, was, he was not an eyewitness, he was not an eyewitness, but he carefully interviewed and researched and did a lot of background work in order to compile this. This is like a Ken Burns documentary. All right. So that's who wrote this. This is Luke. This is Luke. And he's writing to this guy by the name of Theophilus. We could talk about whether that's his actual name or not. It could have been just a pseudonym to protect somebody's identity. But Theophilus, we translate uh, quickly and straightforward as friend of God. Friend of God. But it reads a little bit more than that. It, it could be one who is friendly towards the idea of God or the person of God. Or conversely, and this is kind of where I think Luke is going with this, one whom God loves, who just turns it around. God's friend, the one whom God loves and has sought as a friend or loved by God. And in fact, that will be the message uh, title today is loved by God. Theophilus is likely a pseudonym given, to, uh, given in the context of the writing. Uh, he calls him most excellent Theophilus in, um, in Luke, which means he was probably a high-ranking Roman government official, which means Luke had to be careful because these things were going to be read and uh, he didn't want to condemn anybody or, or um, incriminate anybody with, with his writings, so he changes his name probably. Theophilus, one who God loves, Likely one that is interested in God or pursuing God, but, but one who God loves, Theophilus. Now, why did he write this? He says this pretty clearly, uh, both in Luke and in Acts, but it's to give an orderly and easily understood historical account of the gospel of Jesus. Okay, so we're in the Roman Empire. Somebody in a high position is going to hear all the rumblings. They're going to hear all the, all the rumors and, and stories from Judea, which is kind of a tumultuous area in the Roman Empire. Tumultuous area in the Roman Empire. Things are always happening. Somebody's always in trouble. There's always stories coming out of Judea. So you, you, got, you got these stories going on. There's rumors. There's dramatized details. And forgive the expression, but it, it goes into legend and old wives' tales, right? And you just, what's real? 
what's real? Like, this is the story, but okay. There's, it's been through a lot of mouths and a lot of ears and a lot of imaginations before it got to me. So what's real? So Luke was writing this to Theophilus so that Theophilus would know the truth of what happened and be able to be confident that he knew the real thing and wasn't just getting convinced of something that wasn't even real. It was hard to trust what you were hearing, so he wanted to give him a reliable record. This writing is an incredible effort, lots of research, lots of conversations, and this was obviously before the days of, of the internet, right? So the research was a little bit more drawn out. It probably took more effort than just popping online and saying, yeah, what, what did Jesus do at this time? And, and who said what? And No, he had to get in their face. He had to talk to Peter in person. He had to talk to Mary in person and know what was going on. He wanted to clarify what was real so Theophilus could be confident in his faith in Jesus. So for us today, the book of Acts provides two very important things. I'm taking a little bit of extra time and setting up Acts because we're going to be here for a minute. We're going to be here in Acts. But what does is, what is it serve for us now? First, it serves as the sequel to the Gospels. Picking up where the four Gospels narrative leaves off and, um, and certainly where the Gospel of Luke leaves off, his, his own writing, to continue the story in the life of the early church. Um, we, we have heard, and in Luke, we've heard of what Jesus did, what Jesus said, and then that story kind of ends when Jesus goes to heaven. But that's like the worst kind of cliffhanger, right? There, there's a little bit of resolution in, I mean, there is resolution in who Jesus is and what he accomplished, but what's the effect of that? What, what happens when, okay, now what? Okay, that, that's, that's really cool. That's awesome. Now, but, but what does it mean for us? How does that work out? Um, I think of the, uh, sorry if you don't like this movie, but we're going to the movies here because I said sequel. So here we go. Matrix, the Matrix, right? Uh, in, in the first movie, which is really the only one I paid attention to, but okay, so uh, in the first movie, it's all about who the, the Messiah figure is, right? Neo. And at the end of the movie, we have resolved who he is and what he's capable of. But then it, it ends and you're like, so what does that mean? What does that mean for the resistance that they're part of? And, and it, you don't see it play out, right? Um, there's a ton of parallels that we could geek out over in that. And I'm just, we're not going to go there. We're not going to do that today. <laughs> But it needed a sequel. You needed to know what happens next. And you needed to know what it meant for the people involved. Acts does a similar thing for us. We have the gospel. We have what Jesus said. We have who he is. But how did it play out in, those, in that first church? How did it play out in those first 30 to 40 years after he left? The second thing that Acts gives us is a historical context for Paul's letters. It really gives us a good understanding of, of where he was, what he was doing, what the timeline is, when he writes what he writes to Galatia, Ephesus, Philippi, Colossae, uh, Thessalonica. That's a fun one to say if you just want to say something fast. Thessalonica. There you go. And, uh, and, 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 uh, and, and other believers like uh, Philemon or Timothy. 
Right? Where was he when he wrote this? What was going on? What was the context of this? And Acts gives us so many of those details. And it makes it a lot easier to understand where he's where uh, where Paul's coming from when he writes those things. That 30 to 40 year window after Jesus went to heaven is what we're looking at in Acts. And Luke switched and compiled this writing. All the maps, if you have a physical Bible, all the maps in the back of your Bible are right out of Luke's writing. That's where you get that information. Well, the ones in the New Testament. All right, so we've gone through these first verses. Let's dig into what Acts is saying to us in these first five verses today. If you get back to Acts 1, just in case you lost your place in, somewhere in Luke, we're going back to Acts. Acts. Oh, <laughs> almost, almost. The first account I composed, Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do until he was taken up to heaven after he had, by the Holy Spirit, given orders to the apostles whom he had chosen. Here Luke is reminding Theophilus that Jesus had given instructions, that there were instructions to his disciples, and and specifically what he's referring to here is the instruction to return to Jerusalem and wait for the Holy Spirit to clothe them with power. Jesus told them to do that. Don't do anything else until you do that. And then after that, after being filled and empowered, he told them that their next step would be be, uh, to be witnesses, literally martyrs, wherever they went, making disciples wherever they went. So they they had two instructions in that final commission. Uh, There was wait for the Holy Spirit, and then there was be my witnesses, starting in Jerusalem and then going through the rest of the world. They would definitely need this indwelling of the Spirit in order to accomplish their assignment. Uh, if (laughs) If you know you're signing up to be a martyr, you had better figure out why. You had better be convinced that you and know what's going on when you sign up for that. So you need the baptism of the Holy Spirit. There was no chance they were going to do this in their own strength. None whatsoever. Verse 3. He says, to these he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many convincing proofs, appearing to them in, uh, over a period of 40 days. Luke says that Jesus offered many convincing proofs that he was the risen Christ. And some of these are recorded in Luke, some of them in the other gospels. Um, one of my favorite ones is eating broiled fish in front of them. Um, a ghost can't eat or at least consume. So you imagine the disciples looking at him as he, he you have something to eat. And then they give him a piece of fish and he eats it. And I, they're like watching to see if it falls out or like, are you, are you for real? This. So that was, that was one, right? He showed them his, his hands and his feet. He showed them his scars. They saw him. And then, and then in John, He records that Thomas uh, touched his scars, his hands and his feet. Uh, Another one was he cooked them breakfast on the shores of the Sea of Galilee. 
for 40 days, Jesus is interacting with, and some of them are wild interactions, like he just shows up in the room, even though the doors are locked, or he, he and, or disappears, like goes somewhere else. He, he, uh, he's with the two on the road to Emmaus and explaining scripture to them. He's talking to them, and then they sit down to eat, and he breaks bread and prays, and boom, he's gone, right? So some of these are just wild, wild things. I imagine that it took 40 days of this kind of activity finally settle it in their heart that this is for real and I'm not just so emotionally traumatized that I'm hallucinating, right? So Jesus cared and he took that time to do that. He took the time to convince them. This was going to be really important that they were really settled that it was the risen Jesus and not something else or someone else. They needed to be really certain of this if they were heading into the future to carry his name. This would have been in this period of time when he would have appeared to his half-brother James. We just finished James uh, a little bit ago, and we all know that James was fairly convinced by that interaction with Jesus during that time, where he had not been before, but Jesus had a plan for him in his church, and he appeared to him directly and convinced him Luke says this so that Theophilus could also be confident that Jesus was who he was reporting him to be. The people that Luke spoke to, the people and the sources that Luke went to saw Jesus with their own eyes and spent those 40 days with him, experiencing him. They were absolutely convinced. And so their testimony was reliable, reliable. And so this is how Luke compiled it. So in verse three, he says, he just lays this out again. He presented himself alive after his suffering by many convincing proofs. He spent 40 days doing this. And then it says, and speaking of the things concerning the kingdom of God. Now, Jesus spent his entire ministry talking about the kingdom of God. So what's he talking about here in this, in this moment? The kingdom of God, as we have defined previously, is wherever the rule and the reign of God is in effect. Wherever things are submitted to God's plan and his will. So this oftentimes refers to just your heart. If your heart is submitted, that, that is a, an element of the kingdom of God. Now, we look to the future when it will be the kingdom of God, period, right? There will be no descent. There will be no, he will rule the nations with a rod of iron. He will cover the earth in his glory. Like there will be no, no debate about that. This is, the, this is the prequel, <laughs> if you will. The kingdom of God in us and through us in the world around us. Wherever the rule and the reign of God is in effect. This is what Jesus is talking about. He's talking about the plan of God to save and redeem people. And he's giving them this in the instructions to, to wait for the Holy Spirit and to be witnesses. This is how the kingdom of God will be built. This is where we're going. This is what it's going to look like. This is how God will accomplish his will on earth. He showed them uh, that he was the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies. In Luke 24, 44 through 47, we see on, on the road to Emmaus, we see Jesus, well, that actually isn't the road to Emmaus. This is just Jesus explaining to his disciples, hey, remember, remember when scripture said this? That's me. 
That is also what he did with, uh, with the men on the road to Emmaus. He also prepared them for the coming of the Holy Spirit in this time. As he's talking about the kingdom of God, he prepared them for the Holy Spirit. He said, he's coming and he's the promise of the Father and you need to wait for him. That's something that you need to do as part of the kingdom of God. And then he also gave them their assignment in the context of the kingdom of God. The Great Commission, you find that in Matthew 28, Mark 16, and then, of course, in Luke 24, and then reiterated, we'll probably hit it next week in Acts 1.8. Jesus was teaching them the kingdom of God, showing them what this is going to look like, the thing that we're going to see played out for the, for the next 30, 40 years. We're not going to take that long to go through Acts, but 30 to 40 years. Uh-huh. Verse 4, gathering them together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised, which, he said, you heard of from me. Of course, he is speaking of the Holy Spirit here. Verse 5, for John baptized in water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. This word that that he uses for gathering is an interesting word, um, and it can mean a couple different things to, to throng together, to, to gather a mass of people, but it also implies eating together. I like eating. I think food is an is a integral part of the church, not just the early church, but church in general. This implies, number one, a lot of people. So it wasn't just the 12 and their families. This was, this was likely probably the, the 120 that ended up in the upper room. It's not hard to imagine Jesus gathering everybody and they're sitting down eating as he's instructing them. Similar to what happened uh, at the Last Supper. He's instructing his followers over a meal. And then he says, wait. Wait in Jerusalem. In other words, don't do anything else until this happens. Wait is not a passive thing. It's to be expectant and ready to receive, to hold yourself in openness and readiness to receive. Wait is never a passive thing in scripture. Uh, sometimes when we wait, it's waiting for the internet to, to do anybody remember dial up? <laughs> I might have dated myself a little bit there. Um, but I remember, I remember dial up and there was a lot of waiting involved. There was a lot of waiting, and there was nothing you could do. You just frenetically, you know, do something else until, until it loads the next instant message on AOL. Um, that was terrible. That's not the kind of waiting we're talking about. Waiting is an intentional thing where you position yourself to receive. When you say, we're waiting on God. Right? That's something we, we like to say in the church. Waiting on God is not a passive thing. That doesn't mean just going about doing my own thing until God intervenes and bam, does something. That means I am intentionally open to the move of the Holy Spirit. I am listening. I am paying attention. I am waiting on God. I'm not, it, it's, it's an actual thing to do, not just the absence of doing something. Jesus said, wait. 
for what the Father had promised. The promise of the Father is, of course, the Holy Spirit, which Jesus says he told them about earlier. And he had. He had been talking about it quite a bit. In Luke 22, we read about that. And if you want the extended version, you go to John 14 through 16. And he talks a lot about who the Holy Spirit is, what he will do, and how important it is that you cooperate with him when he's here. Jesus said, you had heard it from me. You've heard this from me. I've been telling you. He had been telling him about the Holy Spirit for a long time. This was always part of the plan. Uh, Jesus was, you know, of course they were distressed that Jesus was leaving, but it was always part of the plan that Jesus would come and do what he needed to do, set things up, and then the Holy Spirit would take over as Jesus went back to heaven. That was always the plan. Jesus said, you had heard it from me. I've been talking about it. And then he talks about baptism um, and compares it to the baptism of John. He says, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Baptism is immersion in water, submerged. Um, all the, you even see it in all of the, the pictures and movies of John the Baptist baptizing people. Like they went out into the river. They waded out and they went all the way down. Didn't matter how you went down, straight, you know, back. It doesn't matter. Uh, here we're going to bend backwards. That's how we're going to do it. Um, because it's not deep enough to just... <laughs> <laughs> we'll figure that out in a minute. All right. Um, but you did that for repentance. You did that to, to, as a symbol that you were being washed clean, that you were repenting of your sins. Here, to be baptized in the presence of the Holy Spirit, it's the same word, immersed in the Holy Spirit. Now, it's a, that's, that's kind of, it's kind of different because you're thinking, okay, but, but spirit is like, not like physical water. How am I going to be submerged, immersed in the Holy Spirit? The presence of the Holy Spirit will be as water around you when you are baptized in the Holy Spirit, when you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That's why we use that word, baptism of the Holy Spirit, in Pentecostal circles, because we're a Pentecostal church. The Holy Spirit, the promise of the Father, is a real person. He is God himself, and when he is present in a place, it is a saturation. It is a saturating experience akin to being dipped in water. And that's the imagery that Jesus is using. John used the same imagery when he was telling people, they, they asked him, are you the Messiah? He said, no, I baptize you with water for repentance, but one is coming who will baptize you with fire. He likened it to fire and the Holy Spirit. So this baptism in the Holy Spirit and waiting for this uh, was crucial to the beginning of the first church, the early church. It was the empowerment needed to accomplish what was in front of them. It was the only way that anything would happen. Because we know, and you know, that, that if you do things by human strength, how's it going to go? Kingdoms, kingdoms built by the hands of men will last for a time if they're really well built. And then they go away. There's seasons of that. 
We are now 2,000 plus years into this adventure, into this church of Jesus Christ that the Holy Spirit has been orchestrating and building and, and um, engineering just so for all of this time. And this, would not, this could not be done by human efforts or hands or wisdom. The Holy Spirit was the means by which Jesus could say, I am with you always even to the end of the age. The Holy Spirit would continue where Jesus left off in the storyline, but from within each believer and with each believer. Jesus was confined to one physical body. The Holy Spirit is not. He is spirit. He is omnipresent. He is God himself. And so therefore he can do the church everywhere all at the same time. And that's why Jesus said, believe me, it's to your advantage that I go and that he comes. The Holy Spirit would continue to teach us his view of the world and to be like Jesus. I want to back up just for a second here. Luke is addressing Theophilus. He's going through a lot of effort, lots of work, lots of research and, and, um, detective work to make sure that he's got this right because he sees Theophilus, he sees this Roman official as somebody that God loves. Somebody who is loved of God and therefore worthy of Luke's effort to do this. We're not talking about just somebody who was may be open to the idea of God. Luke had a picture of this man as God saw him. Luke saw this Roman official as God saw him and he was valuable. And he was wanted. He was loved by God. He was somebody God would want to be a friend with. And he saw him that way. And so he was therefore willing to put forth effort. And so that's how we start the book of Acts. All of this is written because people are loved by God. We want an, an accurate and orderly account of what happened because people need to be able to, to put their trust in it and believe it confidently. We're not going to get into the whole history of how Scripture comes to us and how reliable Scripture is. Though Scripture is absolutely reliable. But the first principle that we take from Acts as we start this series is that God loves people. And as the Holy Spirit is in us and with us and working in us and changing us, and as we have committed ourselves to be Jesus' disciples and to see things like Jesus saw it and do things like Jesus did it, then we will begin to see people like God sees people, like Luke saw Theophilus. And we will we'll put forth effort. We'll pursue people. We'll pray for people when we begin to see their value and their worth before the Lord. All of Acts, all of Luke was written out of that perspective. God values you. Therefore, I value you. And I want you to have the best foundation possible. 
Seth, could I have you come up and play? We're gonna, we're gonna wrap up this part of the service and move towards baptisms. If you're getting baptized today, um, you may prepare yourselves. That sounded ominous, but really I just meant get in the appropriate clothing. Because we all are Theophilus. We'd like to think of ourselves as being friends of God. We would like to think of ourselves as, um, you know, being inclined towards God, but really this is the other way around. This is God being inclined towards us. This is God loving us and being our friend. Because really he's the only... <laughs> He's the only one with any capacity to do anything about it. <laughs> His whole plan from the beginning was to rescue us and redeem us. And from this introduction, we see the heart of a man who cares deeply about the one he is communicating to, a person God loves. Luke makes his great efforts and takes great pains to make sure he's doing his work right. And I wonder, I wonder what this looks like in our lives. I wonder what kind of things would change, what kind of efforts we would make if we saw people or when we see people the way that God sees them. One of the things that happens in our hearts as we are baptized with the Holy Spirit is that he teaches us how to see people. We become like the one we hang out with. So we, we begin to see people the way he sees them. We begin to pick up on the way he thinks. He sees us, he sees people as those beloved by God. We are Theophilus. Our goal in following Jesus, and indeed our goal in life, is to make, is to be a disciple and to make disciples. That's the Great Commission. Go make disciples. Be like Jesus and then teach others to do the same. And Acts gives us this narrative of the early church as they go on this discovery process of what it's like to live that out in their real life, in their, in their difficult life, in their heaven is not here yet life. We, just, we see this discipleship modeled right before our eyes as we read this narrative. There's mistakes, there's successes, there's disputes and quarrels, there's unity and community, there's power and there's boldness, there's the presence of the Holy Spirit in everything. There's signs and wonders. A church baptized with the Holy Spirit. Hey guys, welcome. Come on in. Come on in. I'm just wrapping up. You're fine. They let the Holy Spirit help them see people the way he did. And in these first couple verses, we see our first principle and the setup for Acts. We want to see people like Jesus sees them. We want to let the Holy Spirit change our heart. So my question to you today as we close this time is, who is your Theophilus? Who is the one that the Holy Spirit would change your heart towards, that you would be willing to put effort out 
to make sure that they understand who Jesus is and can put their trust in him. As a disciple and as disciples, let's follow the example set for us by Luke. Let's do that. Lord, help us hear from your word this morning. Help us to allow you to work this in our hearts and show us how you see people. Give us, give us the courage and the strength. Holy Spirit, lead us. We would be disciples. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. All right, we are moving into baptism. If you are getting baptized today, would you come on up here? In the Hebrew culture, there was a lot of baptism. Uh, in fact, around Temple Mount, there's, there's little baptistries all over the place. They call them mikvahs, or ritual baths. And, and what would happen is, um, in order to go into the temple, you had to be clean. So you would walk in, uh, down a series of steps into this, into this smaller pool, and you would submerge yourself, and then you would come up the stairs on the other side, representing that you were clean. And there, there's dozens of them all over, all over. It was something they did a lot. And so when John had people baptized in the river, he would, it was for the repentance of sin. And they would come in and it was a symbolic thing where they would be cleansed of their sin and their hearts would be prepared for the coming of the Messiah. And then Jesus came and he said, baptize people. And he used that same imagery. You want to be cleansed. You want to, you want to make a statement that you are repenting, that you're giving your life to Jesus, right? He said, baptize people and make disciples of all nations. So this is part of, of who we are as believers. This is a Christian thing. This crosses all denominational lines and there's different formats and different things, but, but we make a statement that we belong to Jesus. And that's, this is how we do it. So we have three folks here that are getting baptized. I'm going to turn this mic on. Hey, and I'm not going to use both at the same time. I'm going to hold the mic. I'm going to ask you your name and why you're getting baptized today. I'm John, and I'm getting baptized today to repent of my idiot ways. Ooh, somebody's preaching now. Huh? <laughs> um, I did uh, 22 years in the military and the army, and I retired uh, shortly before COVID began. You're welcome. And um, during that 22 years, I was often uh, accused of winging it. Um, every day, I would approach uh, the people I led and the missions that had to be done. And I really had no plan in my mind other than to keep my mind open and to listen. And I worked for that every day, and, and it worked out. Um, everyone that I worked with came home. And everything ended with me coming home and finding my wife here. <laughs> and now Jesus. Uh, thank you, Jesus. And uh, thank you to my new family here. Yeah. So Jesus is your Lord and Savior. Jesus is everything, yes. He's, he's everything. my Lord and Savior. And he's covered your sins. He's removed all of them. He's washed you clean. Yes. Amen. Amen. Well, this is going to be awesome, man. This is going to be good. All right, so John and 
I'm Angie. I'm John's wife. Um, for a while now, I've felt a surrender to Jesus Christ, a surrender of my spirit, my heart. And yet I've had this sorrow, and it, it hasn't let go. And I, I realized that I want to do more than just save myself. Like, I, I want to really help. What, what is heaven without all of you or all of the people I see, my family, my friends, people I don't even know? And it's taken a long time for me to appreciate people. <laughs> um, but this is my way. And, and I've struggled with trust in my life deeply struggled with trust and I'm trusting in Jesus and in the Holy Spirit and where I've been guided to I'm trusting and believing in this process I'm surrendering entirely my body my heart my mind my soul my spirit all of it I'm giving it to Christ I'm giving it to the Holy Spirit I love God and I just want to help others find that. I want to be more than just me, <laughs> if that makes sense. <laughs> and so I'm here today. Amen. Amen. I'm Ashley, and um, I went a really long time in my life. Um, running and hiding and um, not really listening um, to any purpose. Um, I made excuses um, for why I didn't want to go to church or why I didn't um, want to listen to Jesus or to feel any of that. And I ducked and dodged it <laughs> blaming it on my, you know, things in my past. And about a year ago, um, somebody in our family passed away. And we did his memorial service. And it wasn't until then, with all of my family around me, that I feel like something opened. And I was ready to stop making excuses. And in a way, I owe that to that person a lot. He was the first person in this family to open his heart to me and bring me in. And without him, I don't think I would be here right now. So I'm ready to surrender everything and give him and stop making excuses and running away. Amen. Amen. This is how we bring our hearts to the Savior. Amen. All right, we're going to move towards the, the tank here. Ashley, we'll have you get in first. Uh, yeah, let's just set your towel here. And 
Step in. Oh, Patty's the towel handler. All right. Actually, let's step in over here and then and then work over here. So it's not cold. No, no. Okay, and I'll have you put your feet on this side with your knees against the side here. There we go. Yep. There you go. Perfect. All right. All right, now one hand on your nose like this and the other hand on your wrist like that. Perfect. All right. And now, Ashley, based on your confession of faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, we baptize you in his name, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, buried with Jesus in his death and raised with him a newness of life. <laughs> wow. Would you stretch your hands towards Ashley right now as we pray a blessing on her? Jesus, you have been so good. You have been so good to Ashley. You have been there every step of the way. You've seen every decision and every moment. And you have been sovereignly guiding her. Lord, I pray that the, the plans in the future, the things that you have for her would far outweigh anything in the past. We have buried the past in this water. We've, we've left it here. And now the life that she lives is to you, is to you. She's raised to new life in you. Jesus, show her new life. Holy Spirit, we pray for a full baptism, yes, Lord. a full immersion, even, a, even as this water in Ashley's life. May the gifts and the callings that you have in her be, come to full fruition. and a freedom, a freedom and a liberty that has yet to be experienced. Lord, we, we thank you for that freedom. There's just, there's things in you, Ashley, that, that the Holy Spirit just wants to completely unlock and it'll just be like birds out of a cage. It'll just be something incredible that was always there and you never knew it. Lord, we thank you for your daughter and this moment here, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. That was a good way to start. All right, Angie, come on in. Consolidate everything on one side. All right. All right, you took notes. That was good. That was good. That was good. We got smart people here, I tell you. All right, Angie, based on your confession and faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, we now baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, buried with Jesus in death, and raised with him in newness of life.
All right, let's pray. Lord, thank you for Angie. Yes. And what, what, a, what a history, what a story you have brought her through. Lord, we just pray for a, an incredible measure of peace yes. and confidence in her. That she would experience you in such a way that, that there would be absolutely no doubt. And then, Lord, you would give her the ability to communicate that. Holy Spirit, we just pray for, for you to move in every part of her life. You've been illuminating things. You've been revealing things to her, Lord. I pray that you would, you would follow that up with action steps. That she would know what to do with the things you're telling her and the, and the things you're giving her. Lord, open her eyes to see things the way you see things. We pray for baptism in the Holy Spirit again and again and again. Not just a one-time thing. Holy Spirit, that you would surround her, that she would sense your presence on a regular basis. And, and Lord, the, the plans and the purposes that you have for her would, in fact, come to pass. And nothing would hold that back. Lord, I pray that the, the things that are hidden and locked away inside, you would begin to unravel and, and bring out. I pray for a deep healing for things that need healing. The things that, that no words can describe or, or, or access. Would you heal her deeply? And the things in the past that hold authority and that have held pieces of her life under lock and key, the authority of those things are broken in Jesus' name. Yes, the things that have held your allegiance before, the authority of those are broken in Jesus' name. Jesus is your only Lord and Savior. God, thank you for your faithfulness and your goodness. We look forward to seeing so much more of that in your name. Amen. Amen. Yeah. All right, you the man. Let's go. Oh, cannonball. <laughs> cannonball. All right. Get you. Uh, let's see here. I don't know. Did your knees bend that, that far back? We might want you to. We'll find out. If we flop you sideways, it's all the same. We'll get you up. We'll get you up. John, based on your confession of faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, we now baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, buried with Jesus in his death, and raised with him in newness of life. Yeah! <laughs> I told you we'd get you up. We'd get you up. Oh. Jesus, you are so good to us. You are so good to us. In our, in our years of wandering and searching, you have been faithful to us. 
and you have been faithful to John. And here is, here is John's expression of surrender and worship to you for what you've done. Here is his expression of complete dependence on you as the only Lord and Savior. Lord, we pray for a deep, a deep work of the Holy Spirit in him. And as before, we're praying for a complete baptism of the Holy Spirit. A complete filling of the Holy Spirit, every area of life. Empowerment to, to speak, empowerment to live holy. The breaking of chains that have things, of things that have held you in the past, those, those things don't hold you anymore. Those things don't hold you anymore. You just left your sin nature right here in this tank. You live with Jesus. You live with Jesus. Holy Spirit, let your power fill him. Lead him and guide him. There are things that, that he is to do that you have, you have purposed for him. You have good works ordained for him. Before the foundations of the world, you, you knew what he was going to do. You knew what you had for him, Lord. I pray that he would walk in those by the power of the Holy Spirit, that you would lead him, and he would follow. That he would follow in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Are gone now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You don't have to hold on to those. Amen. You leave those at the feet of Jesus and He takes them away. Come on. You are who He says He is. And that is it. That's You're it. the water bottle. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Amen. Amen. This is how we do it, church. People say, do you have to be baptized to be saved? The answer is no, you don't. But you do need to be baptized if you're going to be a disciple because that means obeying and Jesus said be baptized. So we're going to wrap up the service for now. I'm a little bit wet. We're good. We're good. Um, as always, we have prayer at the front. If you have anything going on in your life you would like prayer for, come on forward. Let somebody pray with you. And we're going to fire up the snow cone machine outside and uh, watch out because it's probably ice flying everywhere. And, and, um, kids, thanks for joining us. That was, that was a great time. I am going to ask that you stay off the plastic and away from the baptismal because that is not a swimming pool. Yeah. But Lord, thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you for your faithfulness shown even here in this gathering. Uh, fill us with your peace and your power as we go this week. In Jesus' name, amen.